0: God is on our side. We can commit any crime. We're we're absolved individually from that crime by believing that we have a higher sanction. And that's the danger of religion in that it allows people to do that. It allows them to kill without a shred of conscience.
1: in the sunlight the alberni valley was draped in fog that first morning i arrived there in the spring of 1992 jesus once said that when we welcome the stranger we're actually welcoming him but how could i have known that by opening my door to him and to so many others i'd be closing the door to all that i knew nothing was clear to me at first i felt like i was on the brink of something like standing on a dock waiting what was clear was that i was heading for a job interview at st andrews united church in port alberni on Canada's west coast where I hoped to become the minister. When I walked through the doors of that church I knew there was a deeper purpose that had brought me there and sure enough I got the job. There were no native people in my church when I got there. You know there was like 20 people in the pews on a Sunday and they were all white. They were like retired loggers and Melwrights and, and about a third of the population was native and there were no Indians in any of the white churches. There were no Indians working in the stores anywhere, you know. It was just a, a totally apartheid, to, and it still is. It's a very much an apartheid kind of community. And that's actually one of the things that got me interested, just a little anecdote. When I went up at the end of the first service, I went up to the chair of my board, and I said, you know, Fred, it's kind of odd there aren't any Indians around, you know. Like, where are they all? And he got really defensive, and he said, well, they keep to themselves, we keep to ourselves, and everybody likes it that way. And so when I went out to the, I got called out to the local uh, Seishat Reserve uh, to actually to conduct a a wedding a few weeks later. I asked a man uh, who I was marrying, Danny Gus his name was, he was a retired native fisherman and he had gone to the Auburnie School. And I asked him kind of innocently why there were no native people in church and he finally said to me, they killed my best friend in the residential school, he's buried in the hill out back. And the church people all know it, they don't want us in their church. So it's kind of like right away, bang, it was in my face, this reality. These two worlds living side by side, not just native and white, but um, kind of an official world, the official history, and then the unofficial buried history. But Danny Gus wasn't the only Indian who told me of murders in my church's residential school. In my first year as minister at St. Andrews, I spent most of my time just visiting people and getting to know them. That was my job. And my first job was really to open up my church to as many people as possible, including the native population. In doing that, as more and more people came into the church, I gave them a platform. They began to talk about crimes they witnessed in the Alberni Residential School, which was run by the United Church for over 50 years. And they described children being killed. They described uh, pedophile rings where children were being passed around between the Indian agent and the priest and other people like that. Yeah, I had an open pulpit policy, so after my sermon, people could get up and comment on it or share any of their own thoughts and that. What did the whites do? Well, the whites would get up, you know, occasionally a logger would get up and defend the logging and and that kind of thing. And, you know, people had the chance to say whatever they wanted. And Native people in their tradition, they have, like, speakers who are officially delegated to talk, and so when, to give you an example, there was a man, Alfred Keetla, who got up and, and began praying in his own language in church, which was quite something. It was quite quite beautiful when he did that. But then, as speaker, he began to talk about other things, and uh, other people who got up would then share stories of children being murdered in the Alberni residential school. That was later confirmed um, by a woman called Harriet Nahani, who actually witnessed a murder of a little girl by the principal of the Alberni school in 1946. Well, this fellow who Harriet claims killed a little girl called Maisie Shaw. Uh, His name was Alfred Caldwell, and his daughter was right in the congregation. She was part of the old Guard of my church. Did you believe it? Well, when people who don't know one another keep telling the same story over and over again, even if you're skeptical, you have to accept the fact that, you know, it's a commonly told story. And when people began to go further and tell me things that I found later being validated in, in documents, then you can't deny it. You know, as a minister, you, lean, you learn to uh, detect bullshit pretty quickly in people. And you can tell in somebody's eyes when, they, when they're suffering, and it's incredibly painful for them to tell a story. They're not making this stuff up.
0: And welcome to Who We Stand. This is Kevin Anadigle, Strong Voice. This is the voice of the Republic and the Resistance, and it's July 3rd. And that, of course, was the opening sequence from our historic film on repentance, released in the spring of 2007, really was the lever that opened up the whole truth of genocide in Canada 15 years ago now. And what's amazing, and if you want to watch the entire documentary film, since it's been so heavily censored in the years since then because of the whole cover-up, I really urge you to go to republicofkanata.org and go to the section entitled Important Videos. And it's right on there. You'll see uh, Unrepentant, the documentary. Watch the whole thing. Get it out there. That's how we educate. Because if you don't know the truth and the history of the crime in our midst, it's going to repeat itself. That's been proven out and is borne out every day because of the COVID police state. You know, that documentary film, the reason I'm flagging it first today, because our, our theme is entitled Remembering as a Revolutionary Act. Essential knowledge for our new republics and the Stop the Pope campaign. And as you know, July 24th, that war criminal, convicted war criminal, Jorge Figueroa, is coming to Edmonton, to Quebec City, and to none of it. We're going to, in the second part of the show, get into a lot of the details we've learned about what's really going on in that trip and the actions being planned, including something coming out this Tuesday from the International common law Court of Justice. Tuesday, July 5th, there's a public notice and and um, injunction that's been issued by the court against bergoglio not only legally barring him from coming into canada and onto indian territories but actually reissuing the arrest warrant and issuing a notice of liability and restraint to all the offices of the catholic church the canadian government the mounties and all of the different puppet native chiefs that have invited him onto their territories in other words if they have anything to do with them and they aid and abet his visit they're guilty of a crime and they too can face legal consequences. Now don't forget this isn't just empty talk. This was the court that forced Pope Benedict out of office and three other cardinals. It triggered the real whole the entire common law movement around the world, which has become a fad nowadays, but it really started because of the common law court system we set up in 2012-2013 that forced him out of office. We showed that it works. Citizen tribunals work. Pope Benedict is still hiding out in the Vatican because he knows he can be f- face arrest from warrants from other courts. And so these things work, and the government knows it, which is why they're doing everything possible to hide his movements. As a matter of fact, if you go, you can uh, find, if you want to see the details of what Bergoglio will be doing, it's actually on a website uh, the Church of Rome puts out, and it's called peoplevisit.ca and then slash schedule, you'll see, and you'll notice from there, that he's going, most of the places he's going to, they're not public events. When he arrives at the airport, nobody's allowed to see him. He holds private meetings, and occasionally you know, one or two masses. But the point is, most of his trip is secret. And we know there's a connection there. He's going to be meeting with Chinese officials. Uh, we're going to get into that in, in more detail. But before that as well, we're going to talk about Not only that event in the news, but something very important happening on Monday, July 4th, that's tomorrow, the first international gathering of the International Republic Alliance, those people from all these different countries who are gathering to form sovereign common law republics in their own nations. And we're going to be coordinating actions across borders, one of them being shutting down the criminally convicted Catholic Church, because don't forget, folks, The Vatican Bank is the main financial underwriter of the Chinese takeover of the world economy. And that's uh, more and more evident the more we dig into these crimes. So that'll all be uh, coming out in, in more detail. I'm going to talk about the injunction against Bergoglio and all that in the second part of the show. But it's important to remember when we're talking about this republic alliance, it's designed to foster and encourage people in their local communities in different nations to take back their own nation. But you can only do that when you understand why we can't take it back now. The the tyranny now is because of the genocide in the past. the Not only the COVID bioweapons that they call injections and vaccines, but all the other things were tried out first on indigenous people. And, you know, it's, it strikes me incredibly that when you look through MurderByDecree.com, all of the evidence that I gathered over 25 years, incontrovertible evidence never being contradicted or Um, uh, taken to court to dispute or anything it's undisputed including by the perpetrators all of this evidence of mass murder and yet it's never been an issue for people and that's a sign of what it means to grow up in a genocidal culture because you're acclimatized to it it really doesn't matter that much indigenous people aren't human beings still to us they're just things as a matter of fact under the law they're not even citizens still in canada well not canada that's our nation in canada um, so murder is always very personal my family was murdered over this i lost my children i've had friends killed my entire life was destroyed over this and yet 25 years ago really when the campaign began or 30 years ago when i went to port alberni as it's described in that opening clip we had it all opened the door for this and so there's always a reason for everything including all the bad garbage that gets thrown out of in life but i want you to think for a minute It's easy to throw around this word genocide, but the hard reality is almost beyond belief. It isn't just the figure of 60,000 children that we've documented that were killed en masse. But imagine children three, four, five years old, routinely beaten and raped, flogged, forced to eat their own excrement, being part of involuntary medical experiment programs, drug testing, testing out drugs from Pfizer and other criminally convicted pharma companies, intrusive surgery, removal of organs, skin graft, and eye color altering surgery, prolonged exposure to radiation. All of these things were happening to little children all over the country. As a matter of fact, the classic cases, you'll notice on the cover of Murder by a picture of a young girl. Her name was Vicki Stewart. She was hit on the head with a two-by-four because she was coming into the class too late by a woman called Ann Kiniski at the Edmonton Residential School run by the United Church. Well, Vicky was murdered by Ann Koniski about a mile away from where I lived as a two-year-old in Edmonton. I was toddling around on the front lawn of my grandparents' lawn in the spring of 1958. Meanwhile, down the road, little Vicki stewart being killed and thrown in a grave. That's how close the crime is to all of us. And because we didn't become aware of it then and do something about it and teach it in our schools and shut down these churches responsible and the government responsible, now it's happening to all of us. And you could say that's judgment or blowback or payback, whatever you want to call it. The point is now we're not in a position to claim justice and liberty for ourselves unless we ensure it for the ones that we have been murdering. And I say we, all of us, are responsible. Our tax money, our church tithing, our indifference caused it and is continuing to cause it. And so suffering is needed for us to break from this complicity learn the hard lessons. And I remember the poem from uh, the Greek poet Aeschylus when he said, even in our sleep pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. And I like that line against our will because when you grow up in a genocidal culture like this, your will is too compromised and too corrupted. You automatically think and act within the box. Unless a big shock blasts those scales from your eyes. They don't fall voluntarily. We don't voluntarily walk into awareness because here's what we do. Everything that comes along, we measure on kind of a scale of gain and loss. Is this going to affect my life? Am I going to risk something from this? Am I going to lose something? And 99% of us at that point pull back and say, well, I don't care what's involved. I can't risk that. Sorry. That's the reality. But when you have no options, I have the advantage of having no options. Everything was destroyed in my life, and so I had to look for something new. And, you know, you might have heard the recent news that our attempted uh, television program on Not.TV has been scuttled. It was to broadcast last Friday. We sent out a notice about this. You can see it at MurderByDecree.com and republicofcanada.org under Breaking News. I was invited on, and then suddenly they sabotaged the whole thing and made it impossible for it to be produced technically. And I don't say that lightly. It was a complete sabotage, a 180-degree turn. Well, folks, this is the norm and has been the norm in not only my life, but anybody's life who takes on this system. We are blocked at every turn. And so it's funny when people claim to be fighting the system and yet they're allowed to go on the Internet and have support and raise funds. That's only allowed because they're not threatening anything or anyone. When you start threatening, there's a price to pay. And I love Jesus' quote when he said, always count the cost before starting a journey. And those of us who've been on the journey can tell you, yes, in this struggle, in this journey, if you don't back off and keep attacking the source of the problem and the people responsible and the system responsible, you will be targeted and they will never stop until you are dead or silenced. And I've had to operate very much off the radar in a very underground capacity. We're in a police state, so yes, we have an underground network operating. We surface now and then. But we have to be very wise in how we operate. I guess you could say the way I'm looking at things now is I've earned my right to be free because I died to my old self. It wasn't kind of a cheap salvation. It wasn't a three-minute learning. It happened over years. And in the process, I came to know the nature of what we're in. And here's the thing. Remember, I guess it was one of those Greeks, Aristotle, or somebody said, the first principle is you have to understand the nature of a thing to predict what it's going to do. But you can't understand the nature of something if you're part of it. It's like a golfer swimming in water. He doesn't see the water. We don't see what we're in. We don't see the little girl a block from where I lived being killed and shoved in the ground. No, we don't see it, even if we're told about it. We don't see it. We don't want to see it. We come to know the nature of what we're part of by being victimized and targeted by it. It's that simple. And we acquire experience of fighting it. There's that old saying, I think it was from that book, Shogun. It said, you only come to know somebody by fighting them. When you engage with the system, and this is Sun Tzu's basic principle of war, you have to engage with an enemy to know its nature. You can have all sorts of funny, abstract ideas, especially in the age of the Internet. Anybody can put an idea and it can be passed off as the truth. Is it tested in practice? Have you really engaged with the system to know what is part of Well, our movement has. Murderbydecree.com is the result of not just some guy in a library doing research or on the Internet. This is a life-and-blood movement. People struggled and died to produce that book. These are the eyewitness testimonies, and our movement, occupying churches, protesting, holding conferences year after year against the odds, against the tide, finally brought out this truth, then to have it all covered up and concealed again. You know, that's the nature of the tide going in and out all the time. But we know the nature of the system now because we fought it. This is not an abstraction. This is a reality. So, in other words, like I said, the scales don't fall easily from our eyes, folks. They have to be blasted away. And yet, here's the thing. Freedom is not something that you learn. Uh, you know, these days a lot of people are walking around posing as common law experts, and they've all, you know, they've all got their their own take on it. They're all touching one scale of the dragon, but nobody's looking at the whole nature of that dragon because they're part of it. They can't see something they're part of. And don't forget, all this common law um, kind of fad that started came directly out of and only because of the common law court case we did in Europe in 2011, 2012, 2013 by doing something that created it. We didn't just create it verbally. It came out of the real lived experience that we went through, fighting every day, suffering every day to bring this truth out. It takes years to grow veterans and leaders. This is a long-haul fight. You have to educate your children and their children because they're going to be fighting this as well. So, before we get on to Jorge Bogolio, that criminal, I'm going to talk briefly in response to a few things people have written to me about, saying... What is most needed when you join the Republic? The Republic of Canada grew out of this campaign to shut down genocide. And morally and spiritually and politically, we cannot be part of what they call Canada anymore, with the blood of the innocent on its hands and with the blood of our innocents as well, not just Native people. And so this campaign for the Republic of Canada really requires three personal qualities when people take up citizenship. I call them the three Cs. You've got to be clear... You've got to be committed, and you've got to be constant. Now, clear, that means knowing your own reality. Not a particular point of view or program, but your own lived reality. Be clear about that. Be clear of what you're engaged in. You get that from your own experience, not somebody telling you. Secondly, committed. You don't do it now and then. You don't fit it into your old life. You take on a commitment. This is your focus in your life because your back is to the wall, and your life depends on it. Thirdly, constant. You're at it every day. And you never give up. And surely my life has shown that if you don't give up, you can move mountains. There was only about two dozen of us who forced out the truth of genocide in Canada. We never gave up. Knowledge is not from facts or a certain technique, like common law experts will say, and I put the word experts in quotes. The common law people will say, okay, just learn this technique. File these papers. Use a certain language, and you'll be free of the system, which is a complete lie, because you're still in their jurisdiction physically and in every other way. But it's not about learning the technique. It's from that experience. And you can learn what we've learned and and gleaned from this whole thing in our two websites, republicofcanada.org, murderbydecree.com, and then in seminars that we are posting online, and really three levels of education. There's a public kind of entry level of education that we direct our work towards the general public, teaching them about sovereignty, about the republic, about the genocidal nature of the crown system and its Vatican funder. The second level is citizenship. When you take out a citizenship card, what do you need to know? And thirdly, the level of leadership, being trained as a convener or a sheriff, or a national leader of the Republic. All of these things are really important and that's kind of contained within our educational program. Now um I wanted to get to the second part of the show, but before that, we're going to listen to voices of the the victims of the Canadian genocide. This republic that we're forming, and we're forming all over the world, really, is a result of a whole kind of geopolitical situation with the rise of China, and we're going to talk about them, that in the second part of the show. Um you know, we hear a lot in the news about China and its crafty behind-the-scenes stoking of the war in the Ukraine to embroil its two chief rivals, America and Russia, in a never-ending conflict. They are not stupid. They read this art of war, and they know that you do that. You get your two opponents to fight each other. But the bigger fact is that China is midwifing into being a new kind of global dictatorship that we call the corporatocracy. It's the merger of multinational corporations with a global superstate to create an absolute totalitarianism that the world's never seen before. Just look at how all the governments of the world uniformly impose Big Pharma's COVID tyranny on everyone, how democracy and the rule of law everywhere is abolished. Chinese, Mandarin, and Confucian thinking doesn't allow any room for common law, for political dissent, or government of by and for the people. That's why it's the perfect medium for the birth of the global corporatocracy, and it's major financial underwriter, the Vatican Bank. But to triumph, China needs Canada's oil, gas, uranium, timber, and water, and its strategic position north of the United States. That's why over the past two decades, Canada's become a a colony of China in every way. That was even described by Richard Fadden, the former Canadian Security Intelligence Service chief, who said in June 2010, China's taken over the West Coast, including its government. Well, well, poor Richard was then forced out of his position for saying that. But if you look at the proof on the ground on the West Coast, you'll see that the ports of Prince Rupert of Vancouver are effectively owned by China, from where they're shipping out billions of dollars of oil and liquid natural gas and shipping in lots of illegal immigrants. Chinese investment, get this, Chinese investment in B.C. has increased 25 times in less than two decades. And soon China's going to surpass America canada's biggest trading partner well thanks to the harper trudeau foreign investment protection act the chinese can even now station their military on canadian soil and it's the rcmp and the chinese troops that are terrorizing indigenous people off their land especially along that highway of tears where all the lucrative lucrative liquid natural gas sites are located and that in fact our intelligence tells us that Jorge Bergoglio, so-called Pope Francis, is arriving a day early on July 23rd to meet his Chinese counterparts and others to sign deals, which will allow the financial underwriting of the next 10-year plan China has to effectively take over the entire North American economy. That's part of what's behind the the smokescreen and cover of Bergoglio coming to Canada to, quote, apologize for his church's mass murder of countless Native children. In fact, he's going to be meeting the Chinese along with his Secretary of State, Pietro Perlin. And so, you know, it's all playing itself out, folks, and that's why what happened in the past with the genocide, its ongoing nature is totally related to the COVID corporate dictatorship now and how we are creating the alternative and the fight back in the form of the Republic of Canada. Now, to put a human face on all this, we're going to listen now to voices of the Canadian genocide, uh, this was taken from the evidence provided to the International Criminal Court of Justice in July 2012 that finally convicted and forced from office Pope Benedict in February 2013 and also indicted and convicted Pope Francis Jorge Bogolio today, which is why there's that standing arrest warrant and injunction against him when he dares to come onto our soil on July 24th. We're going to listen to these voices now, and we'll be back after that for a further discussion about the nature of that visit and the consequences. Thank you.
2: I'm Irene Fable, I'm 75. I went to a residence and school in Muscovo in 1941 to 1949. And I had a very, very rough life. I was mistreated in every way. It was a young girl, she was seven year old. She was pregnant. And what they did, she had her baby They they took the baby, wrapped it up in nice pink outfit, took it downstairs. I was in the kitchen with the nun for cooking supper. They took the baby into the, uh, what do you call that, where they make a fire and all that to heat up the school. Furnace room. They threw that little baby in there and burnt it alive. All you could hear was, that was it. And you could smell the, the flesh cooking. Uh-uh. It's a big mistake when people say we were treated good. No way.
3: So, after my brother got better, he needed to go back to the mush hole. And we didn't go back for that next year. But it was some time after that, during the time that um, that we were out of school for the summer, that he had, and we were going to go back. And he told. He said, "Do you know what happened to all of those kids that were there at the mush hall?" He said, "Do you remember that?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Our dorm was just full of girls." And he said, "Yeah, so was ours, full of boys." And he said, um, "Did you uh, do you remember? Do you know what happened to them?" And I said, "No." And he said, "They called in the army and they and they took them to the army base and they." and they shot them. They stood them all along this big hole and they shot them and it was as, as um, when the bullets hit them, they fell into the, into the um, hole and um, and he said when they were all done, he said those that, that had, hadn't fallen into the hole, uh, some of them were still alive. He said some of them were still alive in the hole and he said, they came along, and I want to say a bulldozer. That's what comes to my mind, but I'm not really sure that my brother had said a bulldozer. They came along with a big machine anyway, and they, and they shoved them all in that big hole, and they covered it up. And, um, and he says, um, that's what happened to them. And... I must have been about eight, I guess, or seven or eight, somewhere through there. Let's see, that must have been 43
0: or 44. Uh, here we are, second day of the dig, near the mush hole. and this is an area about 100 yards from the school, where we found consistent bone samples, and these regular types of buttons, probably off of well, clothing, obviously, but the interesting thing is here and at the
1: Glebe site, they're of the same style as if they're off a standard uniform or something. Could be a child's button off a school okay. uniform.
4: That's scary, finding those little skulls in there. What were those little skulls? Where did they come from?
0: Could you describe what they look like?
5: Tiny little ones. Two little skulls. Tiny baby ones.
1: In here. I feel that fear we had running upstairs
2: through that door.
5: And uh, I spent five years in the, uh, well, uh, the Canadian government calls the residential schools, but really these were prisoner of war camps. I was one in the one called the Mohawk uh, Institute. Starved us, beat us, froze us. And, uh, it, it was horrific. There was no controls in the place. Kids were always getting beat up or being put through various torture uh, uh, rituals. A lot of the kids were tortured in there. They were made to hang off hot pipes until uh, they couldn't hold on anymore and they just fell to the floor from the roof. And, uh, they were beaten. Whenever someone felt like it uh, made to have, hold on to electric fences, they were...
3: And the ministry found out I was pregnant and they told me to have an abortion. And after I have the abortion to have a tubal ligation, so I won't have any more children. They said if I didn't, didn't um, have a tubal ligation, then I would never see my daughter Patricia again.
6: Friend going, burning 24-7, which was totally out of bounds, and, uh, and me and a friend uh, witnessed uh, two of uh, them. The uh, sisters or uh, brothers, uh, taken uh, look like little bodies under uh, white uh, wrappings or white cloth and uh, put them into the, uh, uh, put them into the uh, furnace. And the Queen came and visited visits for about three days, uh, two three days, I don't know how long it was, I think it was about three days actually and a lot of children went missing there. Many children uh, that that weren't cooperative, um, like myself, uh, wasn't cooperative, and they were put into uh, the uh, with the children who were sick. With was uh, at the end of the uh, dormitory, they kept the sickies there. The ones who were sick with tuberculosis, and um, they they put me and my brother Ernie in with with the ones who were sick because, uh, because
5: we wouldn't comply. In the same room with people who had TB, um, they didn't separate but us.
6: Then we
3: were forced to play with them. Their nuns made us play with those kids. We didn't want to get sick either, but they, they were forcing us to play with those kids. And also, they made some of them sleep with the other kids.
5: I would have loved to have seen me the perpetrators uh, severely punished for all of this, and I would—the the greatest thing I—I would want to see is the Church of England uh, get barred from practicing in Canada. It's just insane. Like you don't murder children and get away with it, and I work every day to protect children. And it just really bothers me that that so many of our children have been killed. And, and nothing's ever been done about it. Like, you read about it, and, and there's information on it all over the place, but n- nothing's ever been done about it. So why should these people, the churches and the government, and Indian Affairs, were all in on this as well. Why should they get away with killing our children? It's just not right, and something needs to be done about it.
0: That's right. Something needs to be done about it. But it's not going to happen within the present framework of Canada or the world system, because the killers are still in charge. So they're going to issue apologies. They're going to issue, throw some money at the victims. Hey, well, here's an example. Imagine this. Your children or your neighbor's children are taken off and raped and tortured and thrown in a ditch somewhere after being killed. And then the people who did it come to you and say, not that they're sorry, they say, we... Issue an apology. Now, the word is very important. I'm going to come back to that. Here's an apology and some money. Now, be quiet about it. Well, what would you say to that? Would you go along with it? Because any Native person who doesn't go along with that ends up in a ditch themselves. Like some of the people whose voices you heard. These people whose voices you just heard, I knew and have met and worked with every single one of them, except the first, Irene Fable, who described the little baby thrown in the oven at the Catholic Moskowegan Church, residential school in Saskatchewan in 1944, the same year that Lorna McNaughton, the second speaker, talked about the kids being shot and thrown in the ditch at the mush hole. So it's ironic when Canadian soldiers were overseas and my uncle Bob given his life to die in the war against Hitler, right here at home, they're doing exactly what Hitler did, killing the what they call untermenschen or subhumans and throwing them in a ditch. happened across the Atlantic on both sides. And yet, of course, the Nazis won in Canada. As a matter of fact, Canada had more Nazis come to it after the war than any country in the world. Not just as Project Paperclip, but because they loved the place. They loved the apartheid regime. They loved the legal genocide going on. So it was a haven for a lot of butchers all over the world. That's why Canada has such a beautiful image, you see, because the serial killer has to have the most sterling reputation so they can continue to do the crime. These voices you heard, Lillian's shirt describing the little baby skull she found in the furnace. The Vic, uh, sister, Vicki Stewart, who was killed at the residential school, the one who was killed just down the road from where I lived at age two. Her sister, Charlotte, describing how in 1997, the social welfare department in North Vancouver made her have a tuba ligation if she wanted to see her children again. Forced sterilization on poor Native women in 1997 in Vancouver. Perfectly legal. So the problem is not that it's legal, but that the killers are still in charge and they make the laws to fit themselves. Have you ever wondered? I mean, think here for a moment, people. It's just mind-boggling. If you can overcome your reaction to this, which is just not to want to look at it, just endure with me for a minute. How can we allow the Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches to operate legally today? Why are they being allowed to operate? Well, because the killers are in charge and they're protecting each other. How can they be allowed to get away with this? How do we allow them to? How come we're not storming those churches? Because by not doing that and shutting them down, they're continuing the crime. Including in the end of this month when the so-called Pope comes to town. We're going to get onto that in a minute. But that word apology, under the law, means not to say you're sorry. An apology, look it up in the dictionary, apologetic means to defend your actions. So when they say apology, they're really saying, we didn't do anything wrong, we indemnify ourselves legally. That's the purpose of an apology under the law. But of course, it has a double meaning in English, and all these brainwashed masses out there think, oh, isn't it nice? He's coming to Canada to say he's sorry. Now things will be better. No, quite the opposite. Things are getting worse. And As a matter of fact, um, we have evidence, as we've learned in Europe and over here, you might have heard of the Ninth Circle Sacrificial Cult proven cult that every pope and top cardinal is forced to belong to or they die. They tend to have the rituals on the 23rd and 24th of the month. It started in these arcane Roman rituals. July 23rd is the night before he comes. We understand from sources in the Catholic Church that there will be a Ninth Circle ritual somewhere in British Columbia. He's going to be involved in that, usually involves sacrificing children, probably a native child in this case. He then flies the next day to Edmonton. So, you know, before important events, they tend to sacrifice children. It's an old Roman custom going back millennia. And that's one of the reasons Bergoglio was going, going out there. So this is the reality, people. If we don't confront and shut this down, it could be your child next. It could be you next. And I don't mean that in an inflammatory way. That's the reality. We're living in a genocidal police state, and it can strike at anybody. So it's in your best interest to fight this thing now. That's why I want to see all of you out there uh, during these the coming... Weeks because we are planning direct actions at Catholic churches. There are not only people that are going to be confronting Bergoglio and issuing the injunction and the arrest warrant. We have peacekeepers from five different indigenous nations who volunteered. International observers who are going to be showing up at the attempt to arrest Bergoglio when he comes to Canada and at these different locations. But also, it isn't just this individual who's guilty. It's the whole institution. We are. Organizing church occupations in the weeks before, especially Catholic churches, in the weeks before Begolio's arrival. They've all been given notice to get off native land. They've all been It's a principle and law of the Republic of Canada that the Catholic, Anglican, and United churches are not allowed to operate on our territories. We have the lawful right to seize their properties and assets, go into any of these churches and seize it lawfully. If you need a meeting space, just go in and use it because they don't have the right to operate under international law. They're convicted genocidal bodies, transnational criminal organizations. It's even a law at the UN. If you traffic in human beings, if you launder money for the mafia, which is the chief occupation of the Vatican Bank, if you're involved in genocidal acts, you've lost the right to operate, and the public can perform, perform citizen's arrests and lawfully shut down those institutions. We have the law on our side. That's why we've issued the notice to police and others saying you cannot support the Pope and guard him while he's here. When we blockade roads, we have the right to do that. And as a matter of fact, let me get on to this. Public notice and media release is coming out Tuesday, July 5th. A court injunction will ban the Pope's visit to Canada and orders his arrest. The public is restrained from aiding Pope Francis on pain of prosecution for complicity in crimes against humanity. Protests and sit-ins will disrupt the papal visit. Now, this is coming out from the International Common Law Court of Justice on Tuesday. And you can see the notice at republicofkanata.org under Breaking News and murderbydecree.com under ITCCS Updates from the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State. Along with that, uh, and let me just describe the injunction and the arrest warrant. Jorge, this is a, issued, a judicial injunction issued by the court July 5th. Let it be known that Jorge Bogolio is a wanted felon who was lawfully convicted by this court on January 15th for complicity in medical genocide and the trafficking, torture, and murder of children. And what that means is Pope Francis gave his personal authorization for the use of children in Catholic orphanages and hospitals and schools to be used in drug testing experiments by Pfizer and other big pharma corporations for a lot of kickback money to the church and children died as a result. So Bergoglio is directly implicated in medical genocide and the murder of children. And the injunction goes on to say, as a fugitive from the law, Bergoglio constitutes a clear and present danger to public safety and to indigenous people and their children. Accordingly, it is hereby ordered by the court that one Jorge Bergoglio is to be immediately detained by the police and the public in accordance with the court's lawful verdict of January 15th, 2022 twenty-two. Two. Or Hebegolio was prohibited from entering the territory of Canada or any Indigenous nation before, on, or after July 24th. And three, all persons and church, police, Aboriginal, and government officials are restrained from associating with or aiding or abetting Pope Francis or Hebegolio on pain of prosecution for obstructing justice and in aiding crimes against humanity. Now, this is the really good part as well. It is also ordered by the court that the police and the public are empowered by this injunction and warrant to detain Jorge Bogolio using any reasonable force and means and to disrupt, delay, and frustrate his movements as a convicted fugitive from the law, including by occupying and seizing public and private roads and properties. This has the full force and effect of the law. It's a punishable offense to interfere with this enforcement. Now, what that means is we have the lawful right now to civil disobedience, to occupy churches, to blockade roads to seize the guy and any of his confederates who were working with him. That's all lawful under international law. Like I say, you can get copies of this warrant. RepublicofCanada.org under breaking news as of this Tuesday morning, July 5th. Finally, the, the other part you can get is a public notice of liability and restraint. And this is aimed at his supporters. Anyone in the Catholic Church, the government of Canada, like Justin, who's also a convicted war criminal. Facing arrest, the RCMP and other police agencies, and the leadership of the Erminskin and Samson Cree, Louis Bull Montana, and Alexis First Nations, the Mohawk Six Nations, and the Inu and Nunavut First Nations—all of those government-run tribes—have invited Bergoglio onto their territories. They can now themselves face legal sanction and prosecution for having done that. And if they ignore this notice and of liability, they can face the same legal consequence that bergoglio is facing so to use that you're empowered to do that now it's really the ball is in your court what are you going to do and don't think that you don't have the strength and power to do it because we did it over many years i did it in a position where i had lost my children had no support was blacklisted living out of my car had no money and yet the power on our side the power of truth and the spirit of those children not only forced that victory in the hands of those of us who didn't have any worldly means at all, we forced that victory because of that higher power behind us. It also forced that the resignation of Pope Benedict in February 2013. And by the way, you may or may not know this, in October 2009, I did an exorcism right outside the Vatican, and the next day a tornado hit the city of Rome. And that week, for the first time, as happens in the first stage of an exorcism the thing exposed itself for the first time in the european media that same week the first reports came of pope benedict covering up the murder of children in residential schools and catholic churches all over the world so it shows you the power behind us you cannot use as an excuse i'm only one person we have infinite power and we stand on the truth and in the tradition of this movement in defense of all of these children who have died and who will die if we don't take action So. Write to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com. I expect you to take this the material and act on it. Go to your local Catholic church and occupy it. This has happened all over the world. I just got a report from our sister republic in Australia. They've done that. They've taken over Catholic churches and evicted the priest. You're a criminal body. You don't have the right to operate. We've got flyers to hand out, educate people, tell Catholics they're committing a crime when they put money in the collection plate. They're part of an organized criminal Body called the Vatican, and their chief executive officer is coming. A man who not only has the blood of children recently on his hands in his medical genocide charge, but for many years he was the advisor to the military junta in Argentina that was killing off thousands of Argentinians. He's doing what he did now. He did then what he's doing now, which is act as the frontman for murderous governments and corporations, and. He's involved in the Ninth Circle Network. Like I said, likely, the 80% probability is that the night of Saturday, July 23rd, there will be a Ninth Circle ritual killing somewhere in British Columbia. We believe it'll be along the Highway of Tears, which is east of Prince Rupert. As a matter of fact, when you draw a line west from Edmonton, where Jorge Begoglio is going to be appearing, it goes that... West Highway, it's Highway 16. It goes right through the natural gas sidelines where all the native families are being wiped out, forced into disappearance, or killed by the Chinese and the RCMP. And that highway ends in Prince Rupert, the Chinese owned superport, where we believe this meeting between Bergoglio and the Chinese will go on to arrange Vatican financing. He and Secretary of State Pietro Perolin are scheduled to be there. This is from sources inside the Catholic Church we've cultivated over the years. They came to us, especially after Benedict was forced out of office, because don't forget, there's factions in the Catholic Church, like any corporation, that we play off against each other. The way they try to divide and conquer us, we do the same to them. And the Ratzinger faction has been more than helpful with some people who are connected to our movement in giving us this information because they want to see Bergoglio out of office. So, you know, the old thing, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. We're getting a lot of good, valuable info, and that's directing our actions. Don't forget, Bergoglio was going to come to Canada once before and we stopped that. We wrote to the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops and said, as we've reiterated, you guys are all going to face arrest if he comes here. It's just a matter of acting on it. And they knew that. That's why they asked him not to come. That's why I think that even if he does come, most of the public events will be cancelled. He'll just be meeting behind closed doors, behind the protection of all his goons, white and native, in order to Meet up with the Chinese because don't forget geopolitically, that's what's going on. That's the real issue here the money and the financing for the Chinese takeover. The Vatican Bank, the Crown of England, they're all directly involved switching into the Chinese camp because it's like George Orwell predicted three power blocks in the world and Russia and America or Eurasia and Oceania are fighting each other to the death while East Asia or China picks up the pieces. They're the rising power. China has jumped ship. That's why Joe Biden went to Rome and fawned over the Pope to try to keep him in the Western camp, the Vatican money is all heading east, just like a lot of the money is. And the rise of the corporatocracy, the single omni-corporation that's going to run the planet and keep all of us in the slave status, that's the reality. Behind the smokescreen of apologies and all of this pretense that he's going to be displaying between July 24th and July 29th in Canada. It's all a smokescreen and a cover for that corporate global takeover led by the Chinese and the Vatican Bank money. So that is our main message for today. And I very much need all of you to act on that. And before I leave, again, I want to remind you, republicofcanada.org, under Breaking News, Tuesday, July 5th. Look it up, share that material. They'll be posted as PDFs. So you can run off the press release, the injunction and arrest warrant, and the public notice of liability to hand to every cop Every Catholic, every native leader who you see, well, state funded native leader, you can use that. We've shown in the past it has an impact. So write to us also, Republic National Council at protonmail.com. I expect to hear from you. If I don't hear from you and you don't do anything about it, you have only yourselves to blame when they come for you, as they will. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. We're going to go out on a in part of an interview I did at That Channel TV a few years ago in Toronto, and somebody asked me the question, how have you endured so long? Because this is the final question. How do we endure? I'm going to leave it on that message and take to heart what you hear because we all have to endure in this struggle. More next week. This is Eagle Strong Voice Kevin Annett. Stay strong, stay clear, and act.
4: I admire your extraordinary bravery to say because you could be pretty easily snuffed out and... Not a lot of people would be inquiring about it, right? Probably not. So, um, well, you sort of just answered the question in that you said, if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you have a firm conviction about something and it's the truth, it kind of what keeps you going. But really, like, what keeps you? <laughs> what, keeps you what keeps you going? <laughs> In light of the fact that you're vilified and you're blacklisted and, you, and people say terrible things and you're constantly getting bad news about this is being shut down and that, you know, and then, ah, well, uh, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I
0: don't know how you do it. When I was uh, 31, uh, the short answer is I don't know either. <laughs> like I just know I, it's the right thing to do and I'm pissed off what they've done to my family what they did to me and my children, what they stole from me, for no reason other than I was talking about their dirty laundry, which they eventually had to admit themselves, right? Where the hell did they get away doing that? And all those kids on the ground, and patting themselves on the back because they they said the right words now. I mean, it's partly that. But I remember, um, this is very deja vu. When I was uh, 31, I was in seminary. I went on a fact-finding tour to the Guatemalan refugee camps on the border of Guatemala, and Mexico. These are people who are refugees from the Civil War there. Uh, horrible stuff. And um, I was taken into the camp by a guy called Brother Fidel. He was an ex-Catholic priest who had been booted out by the bishop because he was getting too close to the Indians. Kind of like deja vu for me, right? And um, too much like Jesus, right? Kind uh, of quoting the Bible too much. But anyway, so he was living among these refugees, right? And the Guatemalan Guatemalan army kept raiding across the border and killing people all the time. And kids were dying every day from malnutrition, typhus, dysentery, the whole bit. Rickets, kids running around blind, you know, nightmare. But these people were the happiest. Those children and those people, they had a love I'd never seen before anywhere. And when I came back to Canada, I felt it was barren. I felt like I'd come back to a dead zone because I I didn't find people who were devoted to each other. They would die for each other, and they did all the time, because they had nothing else. They didn't have the buffers. They only had each other. And I remember I said to Fidel one night, I said, uh, which means faithful, I said, um, don't you ever get scared, like what you're asking me now, right? And that was on the other side of the veil I had to go through myself, that when you go through a testing, you say, hey, I did it, I'm stronger than I realize. I'm braver than I realize. We all go through that, you know, and we've been through we discover that warrior in ourself, right? You can nobody can do it for you. You got to find it on your own. But I said to him, "Don't you get scared." And he said, "Yeah." And he said I got in my Land Rover and drove away once. I got in my Land Rover and drove away once from the refugee camp. And then I came back and I said, "So what brought you back?" He said, "Well, whenever I get scared, I go to the I go to the uh, poorest child in the camp, and I just look at her, and I realize she can't get away. and She gives me the courage to last another day, and that's my friends who died. Okay, That's Harry Wilson. These people are all killed by, he was killed by the Vancouver police, beaten, Bingo Dawson, uh, These people are all part of our movement in Vancouver. They're all targeted after we started occupying churches. They're all just killed. Ricky saw that he ended up dead. William Coombs, you know this one. William is the one who saw Queen Elizabeth take those kids. Erica Kelly, the nurse who treated him, said it was arsenic poisoning. We've got that testimony from her. She's gonna testify at the tribunal as well in September. All the classic symptoms of arsenic poisoning. He dies suddenly. He's about to come to London to give testimony. He's called in the Mounties, bring him to St. Paul's Hospital, Catholic Hospital. And he's dead in 48 hours. So these, these are my brothers, sisters, right? They keep me going every day. So does Maisie, right? Because you find out you're, you're bigger than yourself, right? I mean, exactly. It's for all of them, for all of us. And we, we find that among ourselves. And I just want to, before I get to you, another beautiful story about William. They used to hold him at the Kamloops and Mission Catholic schools. They had him on a rack at night. Like a rack. And the priest would sodomize him with a cattle prod, right? Because he was a spirit dancer. He was a spirit dancer. And they would target the traditionalists, the ones with the sacred knowledge. And the, okay, they would destroy them. That was the whole point. So they really targeted William. and. Um, He couldn't even go near a Catholic church. He couldn't hear the sound of a church bell. He'd start getting sick, right? So we go into Holy Rosary Cathedral one morning. There's about 50 of us. I'm the only white guy there. We show up, and normally the cops and the Knights at Columbus are surrounding the church to keep us out, right? Nobody there that morning, and the doors are standing wide open. <laughs> so I say to everybody, you know, this is a sign, we gotta go. So we walk in to the cathedral during the mass, we got our banner, all the children need a proper burial, right? And we stand at the front of the cathedral. And the, everyone is just gobsmacked. They don't know what to do, right? The people in the pews are kind of interested, right? And the priest is freaking out. He gets the organist to keep playing to drown us out, right? And people are kind of wondering what's going on. And, and the priest is getting, he's turning red. He's just so hate-filled, right? And he comes over to me, and he, he actually gets me in an arm lock as priest. And he said, we're, we're asking you to leave. And I said, we've asked you where you buried the children you killed. And he goes, Prah! and he walks off. He just leaves. right? And so we're just standing there with a banner. And the people are just don't know what to do. And I'm looking out. And there in the pews is William. He's got these flyers. And he's handing them out to people with this big smile on his face. I said, holy shit, like William. <laughs> and we the 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 elders start drumming the kind of sense when the cops were coming. So we walk out and as we walk out, everybody stands up. That Catholic population there. You know, they all stand up. They knew the right thing to do, right? So we get out there and everyone's so happy, right? And the the cop comes running up, lumbering up and he he said, you can't go in there. I said, well, I already did. Sorry. You should get here quicker next time, right? And I said, by by the way, read this. And I gave him a leaflet, right? But and um, so I go over to William man, and we're hugging, and I say, William, what gifts? <laughs> like, how did you do that? And he said, um, I I saw you going in and I I didn't want to let you down. Right? And uh I realized then the way we all heal, we do it together. You know, you don't do. He he went to counseling for 20 years, didn't do a thing for him. That one day, and he stopped drinking that week. It came back. It only lasted a couple of weeks, but he stopped drinking, and that's if you knew William, what a miracle that was. But it was a miracle only as complex as the fact that we did it together. We, he said, I don't have to be afraid of those priests anymore. I went in and just see they're just people. And like the, the institutional mask falls away and we just see they're just people, right? And so if you t- ask me how I get the courage, that's part of it. But there's an unknown part that I can't explain. And I think it's, it's finding who we really are. You know, I've had more things open up for me inside since then as a result that have answered that more for me about why I have that ability I never knew I had, but you find it. And you go through, my worst pain was losing my daughters, right? That's why I got accepted in the healing circle. They saw I was suffering and bleeding. I wasn't the do-gooder coming to fix them, right? I was just their equal in our pain. But we weren't afraid to talk about the pain. And that's hard in Canada to do that, you know?